you know, the last month has been pretty crazy um, around the United States, around the world, and uh, I know a lot of people who are more uh, pessimistic and fatalistic in their approach to life, and I think sometimes that's very subtle, uh, but I do think there is a danger of those of us in the church walking around with the mentality of, uh, let's close up shop, uh, hell in a handbasket, uh, assume crash positions, and let's just hold on. Uh, and and I, I really do think that that mentality, uh, when we live under that umbrella, we actually, and I use the word live loosely because it's not really living, is it? it it's really just surviving, if we're honest. Like, I survived today. Is that what Jesus intended for us? Like, I survived. I don't necessarily know if it is. You know, and, and one of the things that I love about the human brain is because we look around and we start to think we're stronger or we're more capable, we do silly things. And, you know, one of the silliest things that we actually do is because a lot of you are going to the beach, my guess is many of you put your wallet and your phone in your shoe. You know why? So bad guys won't steal your stuff. Because they'll never check your shoe. No one's ever checked a shoe to protect your wallet and your phone. I mean, I actually watched this video online last night of this invention that is attached to what appears to be a beach pillow, but it's actually a safe that you dig a hole for into the ground, and as you're laying on your pillow, all of your precious possessions are safe from beach robbers. You know, it sounds, it sounds silly, but, but the truth is, when we look around and see things happening that scare us, we go into protect ourselves mode. We hear of a plane crash. We refuse to fly. I outsmarted death. You know, we, we hear of a flesh-eating bacteria that was contracted from swimming in a lake or a river. We avoid lakes and rivers. I survived death, right? I cheated death another day. We hear of struggles around the world internationally, so we go, you know what? I'm just going to stay put. I don't go anywhere. I don't get hurt. We watch a terrorist attack in a crowded place. What do we do? Avoid crowded places. It's just the way we work. We go into this survival mode when we get afraid of things and we look around and then we read a, we read a, a, a news report this week that cookie dough is no longer healthy for you to eat but we'll still do that, right? We are big-time risk-takers here. Cookie dough, all the reports in the world saying don't eat it, it'll destroy you from the inside out. Cookie dough reports, be darned, I'm going to eat cookie dough. But the reality is, when we, when we see things that cause us to be afraid, we just say, well, if I avoid those things, then I am somehow in control. And I have, I have, I have surpassed and made it through and, and Really, the question is, are we really living because we avoid all of these things? Is it merely surviving, or did, did Christ intend for us to be more? You know, we aren't talking about living carelessly. We actually pay attention to these things. We're not dummies, but if we're honest with ourselves, we put the weight of being stronger on our own shoulders rather than allowing God to be strong. Um, sadly, many, of, many people, and I'm not talking about those out there, I want to make very clear, we are talking to Christ followers. I know many Christ followers who, all joking aside, are tempted to, whether they say it out loud or believe it in their hearts or in their minds, they are tempted to walk with a belief that God is not as strong as He says He is. 
You know, for somebody who has no knowledge of God or who is rejecting the knowledge of God, it only makes sense for them to feel that they have to be the strongest. But the problem with being the strongest is that every day you look around, there is something stronger and scarier than you are. I talk with my kids about it with basketball. Zeke thinks he's, he's the bee's knees in basketball. And I'm like, dude, you're in third grade. Do you know there are fourth graders who are amazing at this sport and they will destroy you? Like, there's always, and I mean, I was always taught that as, as a basketball player, there's always somebody bigger, better, and stronger than you are. But when you walk around with this knowledge, this idea that there is no God and he's not strong, then it means it's all on you. But then you watch the news and you see threats of ISIS. You see terrorist attacks. You see banks closing and stock markets plummeting. And you see fear of the future. And you, you worry about who our next political leader is going to be. And you, you start to fear all of these things. And you begin to realize, I'm not as strong as I think I am. But thankfully, as we've wrestled with the Gospel of Mark and then of action, one of the standout characteristics that Mark records for us is the authority of Jesus. There are times in my heart and my mind, I just need to know He is the strongest. I just need to be reminded that He is in control and that He is on His throne and that He has a grip on all things. Nothing shocks Him. Nothing knocks Him off His throne. Nothing surprises Him. And Mark paints this picture for us loud and clear that Jesus has all authority. Not just some authority, but all authority. And it's not that God was like, you know what, I'm going to give my power to this man, Jesus. No, Jesus is God. Therefore, all authority is his. Our text this morning just puts another picture on display of that authority. So let's just read it. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So they arrived, the disciples and Jesus, at the other side of the lake in the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. 
and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. But Jesus said, As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, No, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Let's pray. God, I'm just asking that we would not miss the point of this story. This is not a parable. This is an encounter captured for us, recorded for us by witnesses who saw you do things that no one ever saw. And so Jesus, I am begging for your help this morning that we will not miss the point, that we will not miss that you have all authority and that authority invites us to life, not not what we see on the outside or what, we're, what we think is life, but real life. And I pray by your Spirit that you would teach us, you would instruct us, you would reveal to us, you would illuminate things in our lives that are actually killing us, and that we would trade those for the life that you have extended to us. It's your mercy we're asking for this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. After the initial reading, and maybe for some of you after reading this, you're kind of baffled at the responses to Jesus' authority. I was. I was like, wow, there are so many different ways people respond to the authority of Jesus. I, you know, you'd think, oh, there's this one standard way, but, but what we see is it's a, it's a couple of ways that people and things respond to Jesus. The demons immediately recognize Jesus. And I want you to know that the demons' recognition of Jesus was not this affectionate love for Jesus. It's why they fell down at Jesus' feet. It was a matter of fact. The demons were recognizing something that was truer faster than you or I do, typically. They recognized that without a doubt, Jesus, Creator God, Holy Spirit, there is no discussion on the end of things. There is no discussion on a tug of war between good and evil. It has been decided. The demons know we have no stake or claim in this game's ending. God, you've spoken it. We're done for. Jesus, you showing up is telling us this is getting close. See, as we look at this picture, there's not a tug of war versus good versus evil, and it's still yet to be decided. The picture we're seeing declared as Jesus shows up is that it's, it's decided. It is finished. There will be a time when all injustice, evil, pain, abuse, torture, tears of pain, because of those things, they will come to an end, and they bow at Jesus' feet. That's good news. When we look around and we're wrestling with and questioning because we're seeing these things going on, Christ followers, it's time to stop looking around and looking at Christ. Are you one who's more consumed with your Twitter feed, your Facebook checkings, your Instagrams of all the news channels that you're aware of, and you walk in fear and anxiety and worry? Get your eyes off your phone and look at Jesus. 
This is how we are to walk. We are to walk as people who don't have all authority, but we know the one who does. I believe part of the reason we walk so defeated is because we have forgotten that Jesus has all authority. A very specific request is made by these demons. Don't interfere with us. I want you to know that the demons, that the enemy, they have a very real plan. They are not kind of random in their discussions and their desires for humanity. They have a very real plan, and this man's not just sick or in trouble, but it is a satanic attack to twist and destroy the image of God that this man was created in. Do you know that is his plan? His plan, the enemy's plan, is to destroy the image of God that you reflect and is to keep you from being who he made you to be. It is to keep you from knowing the one who created you. It is to make you less than you are. I mean, this man was running around in death tombs, howling at the moon, cutting himself. That is not life. It is a slow, slow, painful death. But thanks be to God, Jesus interferes with the enemy's plan. Do you know that? Do you know that he has stepped in to destroy the works of the devil? First John, it's amazing. If you're, if you're one who wrestles with do I know Christ? Am, am I his? I, I keep struggling. I keep doubting. I have anxiety about these things. I have worry about these things. John writes this whole letter, 1 John, and it's about assurance, and it's about, it's to cause those who are his to know, hey, I'm, I'm his. And he uses two phrases. He uses those who practice sin and those who practice righteousness. And I love that it's practice, because does practice mean you've made it perfect? No, it means you're practicing one or the other. And what do you do when you're practicing something? You aim to get better at it, correct? And so John gives these words that, that, that really give us a, a direct picture of why Jesus came in 1 John chapter 3. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. You see, sin and running to it keeps us from walking with the one who made us and knows us best. The enemy's plan is all about separation, all about division, all about breaking down the desires that God has to meet with his people. And sin, practicing sin, keeps us from being those fully alive, life more abundant, Jesus people. And this isn't talking about those of us who are struggling with sin. This is talking about those of us who are just headlong, straight for it. And the reality is, we think we're living, but we'll see, just like the pigs, we are headed for a slow death. Jesus interferes with the works and destroys the enemy's plan. There are those who see Jesus' authority, the herdsmen, and it interferes with their livelihood. First, we see them afraid, which would be normal. If any of us saw somebody we knew completely out of their mind, sitting perfectly sane, calm and cool and collected, it would freak us out because it's not like them. But what we see is a transition of the people going, wow, that's freaking me out, to wait a minute, where are our pigs? 
And let's talk about the pigs, because I know you're all thinking it. That was rather cruel of Jesus. Those pigs, those are 2,000 pigs. What about the livelihood of the herdsmen? Did he care about them at all? Hmm, the pigs, the pigs. We have a way of missing the point, don't we? We really do. But the reality is, and I want to be very careful here, because the, the demons did say, hey, Jesus, don't send us off somewhere too far distant. And that got my brain going crazy. Like, could he have banished the demons to the phantom zone? Those of you who are Superman fans, you'll know what I'm talking about. You know that mirror that Zod and his generals go flying through space in, the mirror, that? That's what I thought. I was like, could he do that? That would be awesome. I mean, it made me go, where and what realms does Jesus have authority over that I have no clue about? But I digress. Jesus, did he care about the pigs? Did he care about the livelihood of the herdsmen? And because I want to be very careful, because we don't know a lot of the hows and the whys when a demon leaves a place and where it goes, so I want to be very careful with that, but I also would rather spend time asking different questions, not just about why the pigs, why 2,000 pigs. What about the question of could this have been a physical example to the crowds at just how destructive the enemy's plan really is? Could this have been a picture of what the enemy desires to do to humanity? Could this have been a picture to display the enemy's desire to rush human beings to their death? Why so many pigs? Why not, why not just 50 or 10? Like, you could have shown like 10 of them, or maybe three, maybe just one, right? Well... Could this have been because Jesus wanted the crowds to know just how tormented this man really was? Could it have been to show how broken and hurt and abused this man had actually been by the enemy's plans? Could Jesus have allowed all of this to happen as it did just to teach the value of one human being? Let's not miss the point. Let's not put our eyes on the pigs when we understand all that was gained in this one man's life. You see, a heart set on the flesh will look at all that was lost. A heart set on the kingdom would go, this one man was gained. This man's life was restored. This man was given another chance. And I want to be very, very clear that Scripture does teach a value to animals. But Jesus even said that as God cares for the birds, he cares for them greatly, but how much more does he care for you? You are worth much more than many birds. There is an image of God reflective only in human beings. And there is a care and concern for each one of you that far surpasses all other creation. I am convinced that Jesus allowed the crowds to see exactly what the enemy would have done to the man if God had not stepped in. I am convinced the swine running towards their own death became a crystal clear picture pointing to what those demons would have done to the man. And what do we do 
What do we do when we wrestle with scriptures like this and question and have a tough time? We look at Jesus and go, okay, I don't understand, but you have all authority. When your authority shows up, it's not like respecting my authority. It is not oppressive. It is life-giving. When Jesus shows up and the authority of Christ comes around, life begins. Life continues. Life explodes onto the scene. This is good, good news. Jesus' mission to rescue and call this one man out of darkness cost these herdsmen something, and they weren't excited about that, so they asked Jesus to leave. You know, one of the main distractions that you and I can get hung up on is on the authority of Jesus, and I think the herdsmen are a, very, a great example of it, is there was fear, and then there was financial loss. Their fear was, this is crazy, we've never seen this before, and it makes me feel like I don't have a lot of control. So you know what, Jesus, it's okay if you leave. You know what, Jesus, when you showed up, my happiness, my livelihood, my XYZ that I thought I needed really doesn't, didn't seem that important, and so you know what, Jesus, you can go. So I was baffled at the responses to Jesus' authority. But then you have the man who was clearly not well made well. And at the experience of Jesus' authority over evil, what does this man beg for? To go with him. Jesus, please just let me go with you. This man was held down by physical restraints and chains and separated and isolated, and that's all humans could do for this guy was, you know what, let's just put him out there, away from us, he won't affect us, he won't mess with us, he won't mess with our kids, he won't be around us, let's just put him in a graveyard somewhere out there, because that's where he's headed anyways, let's just keep him out there. And being alone, whether it was forced or by choice, these demons decided to take out all of their wrath, all of their hate on this one man, and he begins a form of self-torture and cutting himself. But where man's plans failed, Jesus steps in. We learn that there is literally an army of evil living in this man. No wonder that human chains could not restrain him. Now, I want to be very careful because there's some of you in this room who might be like, dude, that's awesome. Like no chains could hold that dude. He was breaking chains, man. He was so strong and nobody could mess with him. And he was, he was awesome and powerful. He was like the Hulk. He was XYZ, fill in the blank. He was so cool. But wait a minute. Was it really strength? Was he really living? Was he really making, making a life out of what he was doing? Was the breaking of the chains really symbolic of his way of life because he was living among the dead? howling, he's cutting himself. And I think sometimes we are very up about our own plans that we actually miss living. You know, I know some of you may argue, but Jason, he didn't know any better. He was taken by the enemy. He couldn't see that the life he was living really wasn't life at all. It was, he was blind to the surroundings that he was in. Exactly. Exactly. You would be right. See, philosophers like to use this parable 
And they like to, world, worldly philosophy likes to explain that if man will just look internally, just look deeper in his heart, he will find himself, he will find a way to live, he will find that the choices and destructive decisions that they're making, you just turn inward, look deeper inside, and you'll find your freedom. So philosophy, the worldly philosophies like to say. The truth is, the scripture paints a picture for us that you and I cannot look any deeper inside. We are actually in need of an outside perspective. In philosophy, there's this parable that it's, a, it's an Indian parable uh, about six blind men. And they love to use this parable as its poster boy for religious tolerance and relativism. You know, relativism is your truth is good for you, my truth is good for me, and it's all, there's nothing really absolute. It's just kind of all relative. And they use this parable as like their poster, poster board for this thought. And it's about an elephant and six blind men. And these, blind, these six blind men encounter an elephant at different points in their journeys. And, and this one blind man, he comes up to the elephant and he, he feels the side of the elephant. He's like, well, an elephant must be a wall. And then another blind man comes up and encounters the tail of this elephant. And he's like, well, an elephant must be a rope. Another man comes up and touches the ear and an elephant must be a kite. Another one rubs up against the knee and an elephant must be a tree trunk. You know, the trunk of the elephant. An elephant must be a snake. The, the, the tusk of the elephant is smooth and sharp, and, and it must be, an elephant must be a spear. And so this, this idea that they teach in this philosophy uh, is that, you know what, they were all kind of right, but they're all wrong. And because of their limited experience and their limited knowledge, their limited wisdom, they don't have what's in, within them to know the whole picture. And so they, their, their lives are, and their ideas are formed off of their limited experience. Well, there's a huge flaw with this parable. There is still literally an elephant in the room. There's a huge problem with this parable because just because there are people who touch points and sides of the elephant doesn't remove the fact that there's a whole elephant in the room. And I don't know if the writer actually thought this through, but how does he know? He's describing a whole elephant. That means maybe he's suggesting that he has full knowledge that there is an elephant. Well, if he's, what he's saying is humanity, we don't have full knowledge. Well, there's still an elephant, so somebody's got to explain the elephant. And what scripture suggests is that you and I don't turn inward to find out what's going on. We actually need the outside perspective of God on what life really looks like. See, I, I, and you know, and I can... I've tried to explain this to my children. It's like, if, I'm, if I've got a piece of paper over my eyes, and I believe in my heart of hearts that it's, it's blinding me and that I can't, I don't know what it is, but if I just turn inward, I'll figure out what's blinding me. I'll just figure it out. Well, it's this thing. Well, maybe it's this thing. Maybe it's this thing. And if, if let's say somebody, you know, Ben or Nate or some of the band come over and they just say, Jason, there's a piece of paper in front of your face. No, 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 it's not paper. It's not, no, let me look deeper inside. And I'll find out. I'll find out what it is. And the outer perspective is saying, Jason, it's paper in front of your eyes. We can take it. You just, there's paper. See, Scripture suggests that it's, the answer is not turning inward. Scripture suggests that there is an outer perspective that we are in need of. This is what Jesus brings when he shows up. And this, honestly, can be why this gospel is so stinking offensive to begin with. 
What do you mean I'm not really living? I've got X, Y, and Z. What do you mean I'm not really alive? I knock chains off myself all the time. I make all my decisions. I do what I want, when I want. Hold on, I gotta go check my death cave. Can't even hear that the things we're consumed with are slowly killing us. When Jesus shows up, he presents to us real life. It is no wonder the gospel is offensive because when you've been living your whole life one way to find out that without him it's empty, You're done right, that's going to be offensive to people. But if it's true, and it calls us to be who we were made to be, then it's the greatest news you and I will ever encounter. When Jesus shows up at this healing, this man is introduced to life. This man is introduced to a way of living that he had no capable way of getting on his own. No matter how deep he looked inside, he would not have found the ability to bring life. All he would have seen is death. And when we reject this outside perspective that God presents to us, it leaves us no other option than to fend for ourselves. We put on the brave face, we put on the strong face, but inside, as we look at society and circumstances and culture around, we're caving in and anxiety, worry, fear, doubt, hatred, bitterness, all of these things begin to build. Now, as the band comes and we close this morning, I like to think that the conversation between the formerly demon-possessed man and the herdsman would have gone something like this. After the initial shock of being seated, clothed, in their right mind, sane, I'd like to think after the crowd's attention on this man turned to where are our pigs, that the man probably would have walked up to the side of the the slanted land that the pigs rushed into the water. I like to think that the man would have said, guys, really stinks about your pigs. But how great is God, huh? I mean, how great is God? Like you guys wanted to chain me up, and I'm no, I mean, no offense, I've forgiven you, uh, okay? You wanted to chain me up, and that was your best plan? Put me in a... In a, in a graveyard? That was your best plan? Well, well, thank goodness Jesus showed up and actually showed me what living could really look like. I mean, this is amazing! I could see the herdsmen looking at him and going, well, we'd, we'd rather Jesus just leave. I can see the, the demon-possessed man going, the formerly demon-possessed man going, are you serious? Like, you, you saw me. You saw what I did. You caught me howling outside of your window. You saw me completely out of my mind, and this man shows up, and everything is changed, and you want him to leave? What's wrong with you guys? You see, when Jesus shows up, he interferes with plans. He interferes with the enemy's plans. He interferes with our plans. And thanks be to God that he does. Because what he points us to is real life. And what's amazing about this is that this man who has been healed, who could have gone, you know what, Jesus? I don't even know how to live life normally. 
I don't even have a perspective on what that looks like. So Jesus, could you just take me with you? It will be easier. I'm afraid. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to say things. I don't know what to, I, I have no skills. I have no people skills. I don't know what to, let me just come with you. And Jesus says, no. He says, go home. He says, tell your family all that the Lord has done and how much mercy he has shown you. I mean, this is a story that he is going to have to tell over and over and over because it's probably going to start something like this. So you are the demon-possessed guy, huh? Yeah. I was. I don't understand how it happened. I don't know why Jesus showed up on that day that he did, but he did. And it's, it's changed me. And then, and if it was happening today, he'd be asked to make a Twitter account to tweet out, like, encouraging thoughts. And then he'd be told to make a Facebook page so he could get a bunch of likes and probably get on some speaking tour. And then they'd ask him to write a book about his experience. Friends, it would be a short book. I was possessed and Jesus showed up. One page. I was dead, now I'm alive. I was headed towards death, now I am headed towards real life. So what about you this morning? What story do you tell? You know, in the Christian world, and I hate that we make this such this, this platform thing, well, I, I can't tell my story because you know what? I've never ended up addicted to heroin in the back of a Cadillac in Las Vegas. I've never ended up there, so I don't have a story to tell. You know what? You have a story. And that story is, I thought I knew what life was, but when Jesus showed up, he introduced me to something I did not know was possible. I had all the money, I had the education, I've been good my whole life, I've behaved fairly well, but when Jesus showed up, he introduced me to life with him, and it is so much better than just being good. It is so much better than just surviving, it's actually real living. I mean, that's it. So for those of you in this room who are boasting and that you break your own chains, and that you go back to your world and you do your thing, are you just checking on death caves? Are you just maintaining death caves? Just maintaining, waiting, and hanging out for that ending? Because we know that's the enemy's plan. The enemy desires to twist and destroy the image of God created in you. And what Christ invites us to is to experience that life. And it's through faith and trust in Jesus' death, life, and resurrection that as a people, we truly come to life. I'm glad Jesus is stronger. My prayer is this morning that you whatever you're holding on to, whatever kind of like life thing you're holding on to, you'd let it go and, and embrace real life. You'd trust what Christ has done to be enough. And you'd run to him and say, Jesus, can I go with you? The game changer in all of this is that we don't have to tag along with Jesus. Jesus says, I will be with you. This morning, There'll be some folks standing on the sides over here, and I'll be standing over here, and 
If you're like, I, I, don't, I don't even, I don't get this life thing. I don't know. There's so many things. We'd love to just pray for you. It may move beyond just being prayed for. It may be coffee. It may be going, going to a meal. It may be, hey, I just have so many questions. You're invited to that in this, in this place. It's a safe place to ask those things. And maybe you're saying faith is, is welling up and I find myself believing the gospel this morning. Well, the Bible says to believe and be baptized. And so maybe baptism is your response. Maybe you say, I'm ready. Just respond. Jesus' authority stands up big and tall in the gospel of Mark. And I hope you're thankful that he has all authority. Father, we love you. And I just ask, I beg, I plead with you that your mercy, that your spirit would show us all that you are. Lord, I pray that your spirit would reveal the death caves that we're holding on to and that they would be replaced with real life. True living, abundant life, eternal life, life that never ends, life that doesn't shift and change with the, the, the winds of the culture or the philosophies of this world, but that truly real life would show up. It's in your name we beg all these things. Amen.